10-year-old girl raped. It happened in Ohio. Have you heard about this story? There's a good chance you haven't because people have been lying about this story, distorting it, covering it up. But now we know. Law enforcement says, yes, a 10-year-old girl was raped. And uh, the story is being exploited. The pro-abortion community, they're trying to make hay of this thing. And they're trying to obscure the fact that it is an illegal immigrant who is the alleged rapist. Now, we've been warned about illegal immigrants and the crime that often comes with them. Think about it. Coming into this country illegally like this, I think there is a, it stands to reason, logically, a much higher likelihood that you might find a criminal in the mix as opposed to those who come here legally. This is a nation of immigrants. Come legally, not illegally. You know, this was a rape. And Donald Trump had the boldness and the candor to point it out that there is a major criminal element when it comes to illegal immigration. They're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. When he announced for president, that's when he said that he was a thousand percent right. And everybody went nuts, calling him a liar, calling him a racist, simply for speaking the truth. How can you succeed when you say things like that? Well, you can't. Again, Gail, if the question is, how can you become president? You can't by saying things like that. 14 million people he's smearing and maligning. Right. That's wrong. And we have to say very, very clearly, all of us, that kind of stereotyping of, a, of 14 million people is not and acceptable. The, of- the very first day of Donald Trump's candidacy, when he referred to Mexican immigrants as criminals and rapists, his campaign has been characterized by extreme statements steeped in bigotry and bearing a tenuous relationship to facts. Uh, there, <laughs> the media, they have a tenuous relationship to the facts. He was speaking specifically about illegal immigrants, illegal, and it stands to reason, it's logical that there will be a greater criminal element among illegal immigrants than those who come here legally. People who come here legally, of course, we welcome them. Donald Trump, you see what they do to him when he utters the truth? They try to cancel him. They try to cancel him on his first day out as a candidate for president. He could say these things. He would say these things because he actually ran as a citizen, as a citizen, not a career politician. Career politicians have got us to this point, and there are so many of them, actually. They define the swamp, and they're on both sides of the aisle. Here are some of our least favorite. Uh, Number one, Adam Schiff. He got into politics when he was just 33 years old. Next, hasn't been around too long, but she got an early start at just 27 AOC. Gavin Newsom, who's making a lot of noise right now, has been in this game since he was 28. He's in his mid-50s now. Joe Biden, of course, (laughs) oh, 27 years old and has been doing it ever since. Now, again, it's not just Democrats. (laughs) Oh, Republicans as well. And we've got some of the worst. Uh, Adam Kinzinger, you know he got into politics at the age of 20. Talk about a guy who saw himself as president someday. Liz Cheney, perhaps the most corrupt of them all, at 23 years of age. Mitch McConnell, oh boy, uh, 26 years of age. Now, some of these guys, by the way, 
I like, I do, but I think they're consumed with a heck of a lot of ambition. And maybe it might be more for them than it is for us, at least in the early stages. I mean, Marco Rubio, how old was he when he got into this game? 25 years of age, 25. I mean, you're designed biologically to think about yourself and your family before the country. Paul Ryan, not a fan. How old was he? 20, let's see, 20, how old is he? 22, goodness gracious, 22. And DeSantis, now I like DeSantis, but you know how I feel. I think he should wait his turn, and now is not his time. He's been in this since the age of 34. And Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz has been in the political game since the age of 29. Think about it. I mean, I'm sorry, I just, I don't see these guys as having put their country first. I think it was about their ambition and making their own way. Um, Again, I like Ted Cruz, but I didn't like it. I didn't like it at the 2016 convention when he said, (laughs) well, they didn't say vote for Trump. Do you remember? If you love our country and love your children as much as I know that you do, stand and speak and vote your conscience, vote for candidates up and down the ticket who you trust to defend our freedom and to be faithful to the Constitution. Notice anything? He didn't say vote for Donald Trump. That's what he was supposed to do. And he didn't. Of course, we love our children. We even love the unborn, Ted Cruz. And you know what? If Hillary Clinton had won that election, this wouldn't have happened. Three judges who just turned over, overturned Roe v. Wade, they wouldn't be in office. We have Trump to thank for that. And you held your nose and didn't tell anybody to vote for him. Again, I forgive you because I think you've come around on Donald Trump. And let's talk about him at the age of 69, 69 years old. So what did he do? A lifetime of achievement. And it wasn't like he was clamoring to be president. Along the way, people were interested in him running. Usually it's the other way around. They sell themselves. No, everybody wanted to know, will you? When will you? Would you like to be the president of the United States? I really don't believe I would, Ronald. This, this sounds like political presidential talk to me, and I know people have talked to you about whether or not you want to run. Would you, would you ever? Probably not. I think the next president of the United States could have some very, very, very serious problems. It's going to be, I think, a very difficult, it's going to be a very difficult presidency because of the problems that we're talking about right now. And you don't want it to be Donald Trump? I do not want it to be Donald Trump, but I do want the problems to be solved. They've been asking him the question all along. Why? Because talent, ability, seriousness of thought. People saw that. They gravitated to it, and they wanted him to run someday. It comes to politicians, typical politicians like people we know. Big Smile's been in the United States Senate since uh, 100 years ago. Every senator sees themselves as a future president. Reporters ask uh, because that's what you do, not because of any special talent that they have or any special insight. You know, Donald Trump is really the type of president our founding fathers were thinking about. Not a full-time bureaucrat, swamp guy, someone of talent, someone who had something to offer in Philadelphia back then, Washington, D.C. today. Look at him. Look at those guys, right? They are all, just about all, I know, good people, some of them, but they're all, I do believe, out for themselves. And some politicians admit that. Some actually say, especially once they're out of the game, they'll admit it. 
Do you remember Jim McGreevy? Now, Jim McGreevy, uh, well, he left office uh, under circumstances we'll get to in a moment. And he wrote, he was the governor of New Jersey, and he wrote a book called The Confession. He had to leave politics because he had an affair with the guy, guy, who worked on his staff. Do you remember? My truth is that I am a gay American. And I am blessed to live in the greatest nation with the tradition of civil liberties, the greatest tradition of civil liberties in the world. So he leaves office and then he starts to really think about what motivated him, what the process is like. And very candidly, and I think he's in a very good place now, especially when he wrote this book, campaigning gave me the emotional assurance, the emotional assurance I craved. Let's see. Uh, being permanently on the stump helped remind me that uh, people liked me, that I was likable despite my differences. Maybe I continually sought proof that I'd buried my differences deeply enough to be liked. There is no question that I needed the kind of affirmation that only campaign-style appearances provided. Uh, a lot of honesty there. Very good book. I think there are a lot of politicians who seek the limelight, who seek the attention uh, for all kinds of reasons. It's kind of logical when you think about it. But remember again about Donald Trump. He had all of that stuff. He had the attention. He had the money. And he also had skill. Who? can turn an empty pit into <laughs> a partially built building into this. This is world-class talent, and it still stands for something in America, as opposed to being able to talk, 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 and ask for money all the time. And sad to report that Donald Trump's first wife, Ivana, died today at the age of 73. We'll be right back. All right, Joe Biden's overseas, making a mess of things again. What a great honor. Thank you very, very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, President Herzog and President Biden. honored guests. I will once more return to the hollow ground of Yad Vashem to honor six million Jewish lives who were stolen in the genocide, to keep alive the truth and honor of the Holocaust, horror of the Holocaust, honor those we lost. We've actually seen worse from Joe Biden, but this is bad and it can't go on for much longer. My prediction is that he will have to resign sometime in 2023. They're either going to force him out or make him an offer he can't refuse, or maybe he'll go voluntarily. We've seen politicians taken down for mm, interesting, murky reasons before. Uh, let's go to Mario Cuomo. I'm sorry, Andrew Cuomo, the son. Andrew Cuomo may be the single most popular politician in America right now. May of 2020, he was doing a lot better than Joe Biden. And now he's gone. The powers that be decided that he had to go. Now, there were a lot of reasons to take him out. That crazy book deal, $6.1 million he made while in office, all kinds of shenanigans with COVID. He had to go. They couldn't talk about those things. So they found something else to talk about. And I don't think it applies. Sexual harassment. Do you remember? The independent investigation has concluded 
that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment for women. Ah, for women, for women. Well, this is what fascinates me so much because uh, Andrew Cuomo did not sexually harass people. I know that. I'll prove it to you in a moment. Um, But we've seen Joe Biden do it a million times. So what are they going to use to get him out? Take a look at this. This is what I mean about uh, Cuomo not being a, uh, a sexual harasser. Uh, this is state entity employee number two, okay? This is one of the sexual harassment survivors we're about to see. And this is very interesting. We have the moment, the moment of the sexual harassment. It was actually on live television, okay? Here it is. There should be no reluctance. This is Dr. Elizabeth Dufort, who is in the appropriate... PPE wear. Nice to see you, doctor. You make that gown look good. Head up a little bit. You make that gown look good. That's the sexual harassment right there. Everybody saw it on TV. No, nobody noticed the problem. But the attorney general of the state of the New York puts that in the report. Something is rotten. All right. They got him on something he wasn't doing to avoid the stuff that he actually was doing. Now, what are they going to get Joe on? Because quite frankly, I mean, we've seen him, well, roll the video. This is this weekend. He still hasn't learned his lesson. He's he's sniffing children, having uh, strangers, kids sit on his lap. This is just not appropriate this day and age. These are not his grandkids. I'm sorry. I don't want to call him anything that he's not, but mm, this is not right. And how about this with adults? with adults. We've all seen it. That poor wife of the Secretary of Defense. I mean, so if they can get Cuomo on things he didn't do, they can get Biden on things we've all seen him do, right? I think that makes sense. Finally, um, Ivana Trump, Donald Trump's first wife, died today at the age of 73. She seemed like a great lady, um, a native of the Czech Republic, very supportive and a great partnership she had with Donald Trump while they were married. Um, Listen to this. Donald always had a great head on his shoulder, and I saw the potential. But you never know with Donald. You know, he goes in 10 years, whatever he built in 10 years is just so phenomenal that there are eventually going to be different fields which he's going to go into. And I never say never, and it might be politics one day. She was a great uh, model and mother and a good sport. Look, it was a messy divorce. We all know that. But years later, they joined forces and did, I think, one of the coolest commercials ever made in history. Remember, they got divorced, very contentious. Uh, the finances they argued about. But a couple of years later, they did this together. Do you really think this is the right thing for us to be doing, Ivana? What do people think? Let them talk. Donna. Ivana, 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 Ivana. It's wrong, isn't it? But it feels so right. 
Then it's a deal? Yes, we eat our pizza the wrong way. Crust first. Introducing stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. With a ring of cheese baked into a totally new, thinner crust, you'll want to eat it the wrong way. Crust first. May I have the last slice? Actually, you're only entitled to half. Large, just $9.99. I love it. I love it. A few years after the divorce, they're coming together, making some money, too. Donald Trump put out a, a very nice statement about his uh, late wife. She was a wonderful, beautiful and amazing woman who led a great and inspirational life. Her pride and joy were her three children, Donald Jr., Ivanka and Eric. She was so proud of them as we were all so proud of her. Rest in peace, Ivana. Absolutely. Ivana Trump dead at the age of 73, young. We'll be right back. I use an analogy to describe what I want as a hitman. If a hitman is hired and he kills somebody, the hitman goes to jail. But not only does the hitman go to jail, but the person who hired them does. There was an attack carried out on January 6th and a hitman sent them. I want you to get to the bottom of that. Uh, sir, yes, sir. Anything else we can do for you? Harry Dunn. These cops are crazy. The department, the Capitol Hill Police Department, has a huge problem. Here he is now, still to this day, commenting on partisan issues, going to the front row of the January 6th hearings. It is crazy. And they're carrying themselves like celebrities. Look at his Twitter homepage. Harry Dunn. Celebrities follow him. And look at this. Drinking his, uh, what is that, whiskey? Wearing a cowboy hat. It's all crazy. It's totally unprofessional for police officers, by the way, to have this kind of profile. It continues. Here's Officer Gunnell. He was on the news today. But back last summer, he said some things. Well, I think, quite frankly, he chose the wrong profession. Being a cop, actually seems to be beneath him somehow? Listen. The writers call me traitor. A disgrace. And shouted that I, I, an army veteran and a police officer, should be executed. The writers were vicious and relentless. We found ourselves in a violent battle, desperate to attempt to prevent the breach of the Capitol. What we were suggested that day was like something from a medieval bottle. Has he been watching TV? Has anybody for the past two years? This happened the other day. Riots happened. Police have to deal with them. This is in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade. I don't see any congressional hearings for these guys. They were called all kinds of horrible things. I mean, he should have chosen a line of work if somehow he was um, not he just could not handle the riot. I mean, I'm sorry. But this is worse, where he starts criticizing lawmakers for their positions and what they believe in. He's a Capitol Hill cop. He has a gun. And listen to the contempt he has for one party. You got people right now in front of the Justice Department asking to release some of the very same people to be released even though we are testifying about the trauma and the agony and everything that happened to us. It's pathetic. And they shouldn't be elected official anymore. He's talking about members of Congress that he's supposed to be there. He's a security guard, essentially, by the way. 
He called them pathetic, and they should not be in Congress anymore. All right, so that makes them a hit with the uh, Morning Joe team. They love this guy, and they love bringing him on and talking to him. And it's interesting how he says the Republicans treat him now on Capitol Hill. Uh, and they have a lot of the people who we protected on, on, on that day downplaying what happened. Uh, sometimes I run into them in the hallway and then they pretend that not to mm. see me. Uh, they, mm. they avoid me or uh, both to the right or to the left or pretend to be doing something else. I'm not going to be com- confrontational. Um, I don't hold any grudges. I mean, I, I'm still going to be respectful to them. Uh, but they, they don't want to talk to me. Uh, I still want to ha- ha- do my job like I did on January 6th. All right. You're still going to be respectful. You're not confrontational. You don't hold a grudge. We all heard you say that they're pathetic and they shouldn't hold their office anymore. Maybe they don't want to talk to you because of what you said about them. And oh, by the way, you shouldn't, quite frankly, I'm sorry, be recognizable. Okay, you're a police sergeant. Nothing wrong with that. But you shouldn't be recognizable. You shouldn't really be a factor in their lives. Next, he's commenting about legislation that has nothing to do with January 6th, and he's still a cop on Capitol Hill. If you look at uh, the, the bill yesterday that they passed for uh, 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 helping the veterans, 80, 88 of them voted against uh, that particular bill helping the veterans. I'm a veteran, too. But then they go out and publicly and say, well, we'll thank you for your service and this and this and that. Uh, and it's not true. Um, so I don't know why people keep believing that, that they are it's, for yeah. for something. It's, it's pathetic. Pathetic again, huh? The Capitol Hill police must fire this individual immediately. As a matter of fact, I think we have to scrap the entire department. Really, give it to the U.S. Marshals. The Capitol Hill police failed on January 6th, and they still let guys like this run around saying this crazy stuff. Guess what? Doing it for a reason, to make money. He's going to make money. Yep, he's got a book deal. Telling a lot of all those things, uh, my my journey from uh, coming uh, to the United States, uh, my service uh, in the upcoming book that I'm writing. uh, As of right now, I have it uh, titled American Treason. Uh, Hopefully, uh, people will read it uh, because I will be detailing a lot of things that happen uh, on January 6th and, and onward. I think we should call it American Loafer because he's still being paid and he's not working. He shows up at the January 6th hearings just sitting there all day long. There he is right behind Judge Ludig with an attitude and, oh, by the way, a gun. And we know how he feels about Republicans. This is bad. This is a very bad situation. I'm the only one making this point. Everybody else in the mainstream media and even the conservative media kisses this guy's you-know-what. Let's start with Morning Joe. Mika! I guess for me, um, the feeling of abandonment that this man is experiencing is just there's such a lack of humanity at play here among Trump's followers, and I include top-ranking Republicans who won't speak out or reach out to someone like Sergeant Gunnell and thank him for his service and validate what happened. I mean, this is not human. This is 
This is a lack of humanity that I'm shocked by. I really am. Not human. I don't think she's a very good person. I'm sorry. I just don't. Given, given what we know and how she's on that show and, and speaking that Officer Gunnell deserves more respect, who's alive, by the way, than the family of Ashley Babbitt. Remember, the Capitol Hill police killed her. She was unarmed, posed no threat, and they killed her. And they're talking about humanity. She wasn't the only one. Everybody was kissing rear end on that show today, especially Willie. Sergeant, you immigrated to this country from the Dominican Republic, as you write in your piece, and that was a big win for our country, I must say. And Sergeant Acolino said it so well, they are the ones yeah. who will have to look themselves in the mirror. They are the ones who have to figure out how to sleep at night living with the fact that they were abject cowards and can't yeah. even reach out to tell him how grateful they are that he helped to save their lives. Thank you for what you did that day. I'm so sorry that it's caused you so much pain and cost you your job in, in law enforcement, but you've done nothing but serve this country since the day you got here. Are you kidding me? That's, it's just, are you kidding me? What is this about? It can't be, I don't think they, I know they don't admire him actually. I know they don't, but they really laid it. How about the coward word? I'll get to how I know they don't admire him, but watch this. Just know that the vast majority of us are so very grateful, even if a few cowards won't say the same to you. Thank you, Sergeant, for being here today. We appreciate it. Wow. Wow. So here's what's really going on, okay? You'll notice the show has three white folks anchoring it. Now, the boss of uh, NBC Universal is this individual, Cesar Conde, okay? And he made it quite clear, we pointed this out last night, that everybody at NBC Universal, all right, we, we're going to radically change the workforce. I want to share with you the details of our 50% challenge initiative. We aspire to achieve two concrete goals, that 50% of our news organization employees to be women and 50% of our total workforce be people of color. So what does that mean for the Morning Joe show? Take a look at the lineup right now. Yeah, I think they're in for some very big changes over the next couple of months, don't you? So <laughs> factor that in when you watch the show. And Officer Gunnell, I think that they had their own concerns um, their own personal concerns. This is a very selfish person. She turned on Trump for her own, her own career interests. They're very typical these days. When we come back. So, Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama. I hear she's uh, proud of America. Again, slightly. She just never was that into us or America. I don't think too much of her. Uh, I really don't. Gosh, she was so divisive and remains so today. Word is she may be running for president. Um, that's why it's very important we meet our next guest. His name is Joel Gilbert. He's an investigative journalist, and he has two major projects coming up on July 11th. A book by the name of Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. It is also a documentary that will be available on the same day. Joel Gilbert, welcome back. How are you? Great to be here. Thank you, Greg. Joel, uh, we know a lot about her, but I suspect we don't know a lot about her. We're going to show the trailer in a moment, but uh, what do you know about Michelle that we don't at this point? 
Well, a, a whole lot. I spent some time talking to her mother, three of her boyfriends, uh, classmates from elementary school, professors, and I have a completely different picture of Michelle Obama's life story than she's uh, shared with us over the years, including in her best-selling autobiography, Becoming, which I read, and it turns out it's a political document setting up her candidacy to run for president. Uh, I've been following her and the Obamas for years, and I can see her following the exact same path as Barack. Barack had a voter registration organization called Project Vote in 1992 in Chicago. Michelle founded When We All Vote. Barack based his candidacy on his personal story, which was largely fictitious, Dreams for My Father. Michelle wrote Becoming, 10 million selling biography. And of course, we know Barack was the keynote speaker for John Kerry in 2004. The keynote speaker slot, they pretty much give to the person they think will be the nominee at the next convention. Lo and behold, Michelle was the keynote speaker for Joe Biden. So I see the same path being followed and the Obamas preparing Michelle to run for president. Wow. Well, that was one dreary speech, though, that Michelle gave. I remember. Wow. That was a bust. Anyway, we've got the um, the trailer, uh, the first chunk of it. Let's take a look. They could run Michelle Obama. And if they do. Welcome, Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama is the most popular woman in America. You know I hate politics. You can forget about the disclaimer. I'm convinced that Michelle Obama is running for president in 2024. Systemic racism, pepper spray, and rubber bullets on peaceful protesters. She's following the exact same formula that Barack did to become president. Michelle was the keynote speaker at the 2020 Democrat convention, just like Barack was in 2004. Barack once ran a voter registration organization. Now, so does Michelle. That's how we change America. Also, Barack Obama based his candidacy on his personal story. Michelle has done the exact same thing. But like Barack, Michelle tells a life story that is more fiction than fact. Hey, I like it. I like how you're in the film. Kind of like Michael Moore style, but uh, conservative and better. Hey, actually, I didn't find out. You talked to the mother, um, Mrs. Robinson, I believe her name is. What did she say? What did you get from her? Well, uh, I'm going to have you watch the film because I actually went to the house thinking that nobody lived there anymore. And she answered the door and she gave me some very personal information. I don't want to tell you the whole story, but most interesting was her college professor for her thesis was very famous in the 2008 campaign, which she wrote this very divisive racial uh, Princeton thesis. Turns out her entire Princeton experience is what completely different from what people thought. And I also exposed Michelle's uh, racially divisive story she told in uh, high school. She talks about for 15 years, she's been telling the story of her guidance counselor for college racially profiling her as regards her Princeton application. Turns out I found the guidance counselor. She was a black woman, church-going Baptist assistant principal. And Michelle's been claiming these stories like that one for years, chronically telling these phony stories of racial discrimination to manipulate black voters. So I just screened the film at the National Press Club in D.C. People are saying 80 percent of it, they had no idea about Michelle's background. Most interesting, I expose her uh, selling out and exploitation of the black community when she worked for the mayor's office for Mayor Richard Daley. She was the assistant planning commissioner. And one of the projects they did was to knock down the low-income housing 
of all the black community that lived near downtown, Cabrini Green, and made them homeless mm. and gave the property to Tony Resco and these Democrat developers. I also go into the patient dumping scheme where she was hired by these white liberal elites, the University of Chicago, to deny access to health care, essentially, to the black community, the Southsiders, make sure they couldn't get into the emergency room. And they would literally put them in these vans and dump them in these crappy neighborhood clinics. All right. Michelle was to run that program. Sounds. Uh, look, we got more of the trailer. What you just said is great. And I love trailers because you can usually tell if it's a good movie or not by the trailer. I already know what it is. Uh, let's see part two, please. Okay. To get power, Michelle pretends to be part of the black community she exploited all her life. We're working to change the future of this nation. We need you. Are you in? Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. And to transform America, Michelle plans to rule America come Election Day 2024. Wait a second. What was that with the, what was, the Queen of England? That wasn't her in that thing, was it? Well, we put her face on the Queen of England to okay. kind of show the idea, because if Michelle wins, it'll be impossible to criticize her. Anyone who criticizes her, if she runs for president, they'll say uh, racist, sexist, hater. And she's going to be the ruler and the queen and you can't question her. Even as it is now, Republicans are terrified to criticize her. Well, so she could be a very formidable opponent. Now, those are rhinos, and uh, you're, uh, you're equipped to criticize her. We criticize people who deserve it, and uh, everybody is open to criticism. No one's sacred in this country. Uh, so I don't know about that part. I do agree with you, though. There is going to be a lot of reluctance because people are overly sensitive. They shouldn't be. Um, I think we have one more. Let's take a look at the very last one, shall we? Go ahead. Come along on an investigation into the real Michelle Obama and her plan for power. I found out Michelle's father worked for the Democrat Party machine. My father, he was a precinct captain in Chicago. It turns out Michelle was never a part of the black community. In fact, Michelle has been running from the black community her whole life, and she sold them out as a hospital executive, kicking poor black patients out of the ER. Oh, wow. It looks great. It looks entertaining and interesting, by the way. So many documentaries, they get boring. This is not. I've seen some of your others. They are very compelling. Well, Joel Gilbert, uh, check out MichelleObama24.com. MichelleObama24.com. I understand 2024 was taken, we think, by Michelle Obama because that's a website she probably wants. So that was available. Right. You got it. And we'll check it out. Um, thank you, sir. By the way, July 11th is available. The book, how do we actually see the film? Is it in theaters? How do we go about it? Well, you can live stream on demand on Salem Now. Also, the DVDs on SalemNow.com. And the book is on Amazon. So they're both fascinating. You shouldn't miss it because I think Michelle Obama is preparing to run for president. I'm convinced she is. All right. Joel Gilbert, we appreciate it very, very much. And uh, if only I had a DVD player. <laughs> I don't, but I will stream it. That's what I'll do. Thank you very much. And we'll be right back. So if you turn on Trump and uh, you happen to be female, uh, well, there's a future for you on The View. All of them have not only appeared on The View, they've actually guest 
hosted The View. And the one in the middle, that's uh, Alyssa Farah, and she's really, really going for it. She was the communications director for a time under Trump, but now she is totally anti-Trump and is making a big career out of it. Uh, it's pretty shocking what she is betraying, though. I want to bring in Nate Hockman, writer for the National Review. He did a fascinating story. Uh, what happened to Alyssa Farah? Nate, welcome. And uh, I've quite frankly been very interested in this particular subject. How are you doing? I'm good, Greg. Thanks for having me. So first of all, explain to everybody, because she's not exactly a household name, uh, who is Alyssa Farah or who was she under Trump? Right. So Alyssa Farah worked in a variety of different capacities in the White House. She worked for Mike Pence for a couple of years. Then for the last eight months or so of the Trump administration, she worked in the White House with Trump in the West Wing. Um, she resigned in December 2020, just before Trump left the White House. Um, and in the course of the next 12 months or so, all of a sudden, her tone completely changed, and she went from defending Trump on everything from COVID to his line on the 2020 election to becoming a hardcore never-Trumper and talking exclusively about January 6th, exclusively about election fraud, and directly contradicting a lot of the things that she said in the White House and right after she left. Um, it's pretty clear to me that that coincided with her trying to get a CNN contributor contract and auditioning for The View. Um, she got those, those left-wing media contracts, but it came at the expense of her essentially flipping her position on all of the positions that she took in the White House. Now, in December of 2020, you know, Trump is still pushing to stay in power and, you know, pushing to get some uh, transparency on the election. I noticed this tweet from a guy named John Carl. He said, which, this is a White House correspondent, and if we can go ahead and put that tweet on, for ABC News, which senior official in the West Wing has signed up with a television agent to help her find a job after Donald Trump leaves the White House? And oh, by the way, it's not Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany. Do you believe, as I do, that he was talking about Alyssa Farah? Well, it was widely reported that Alyssa Farah was looking for a TV contract around that time. Now, she, to be fair, has denied those reports, but it was reported by the Washington Post, by Fox News, by a variety of different outlets. It's pretty clear that she was looking for a job, even while she was in the White House still. She was looking for a landing pad. And the Vanity Fair profile of her, which came out uh, a few months ago, she directly said that she was auditioning for a spot on Fox News, but when Kayleigh McEnany got the spot on Fox News and she wasn't getting called by Fox anymore, she transitioned to CNN. So regardless of whether or not she was looking for a job while she was in the White House, it's pretty obvious if you just look at the timeline that she wanted to be on Fox News and be a TV personality, but when she couldn't get that gig, she was willing to change her opinion just so that she could get on CNN on The View instead. All right, so uh, I do think... Um that might have been one of the reasons why she was pushed out, as she was pushed out, because they didn't want people looking for other jobs while they were still fighting for transparency in the election. So this is a comment she made shortly after leaving the White House. This is after January 6th. Do me a favor. Go ahead and play SOT1. I mean, I think it's an open question for Congress. I'm not going to play judge and jury on that. Um, but I also think the country needs to move on from this moment. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we benefit from relitigating um, over and over what happened that day. We need to be moving forward. 
<laughs> That's pretty wild. That's pretty cut and dried, Nate. And you actually, you cite this in your article. What happens when she shows up on The View and it's obvious she's not getting that Fox job? Next, please. We are just acting like this is kind of normal. I feel like we're sort of glossing over January 6th and moving on. And we absolutely shouldn't. Um, the committee is working on it. I, I hope that they get to the bottom of it. I know they're taking a very serious, steady approach, but it's devastating. Uh, that is what you say. That is a major flip-flop. How much do you blame her, though? I mean, I guess everybody needs a paycheck. Uh, although, uh, just what do you make of her on a personal level? Well, it's pretty tough to look at that those clips, which were just eight months apart, by the way, and not conclude that there was a serious calculus going on. I don't think anyone can change their minds that radically over the course of eight months, given that there wasn't really any new information between when she said what she said in the first clip and what she said in the second clip. So, you know, Farah isn't as bad as some other really hardcore never-Trumpers. She's still willing to defend conservative positions, sometimes on pro-life issues. She's been pretty good on, you know, talking about conservation and the environment, which I think is a good conservative value. But when it comes to January 6th, uh, when it comes to Trump, it's just night and day. We're looking at two different Alyssa Farahs at the beginning of 2021 and the end of 2021. To me, it doesn't seem like a coincidence that that coincides with her securing a CNN contract and auditioning for The View. And by the way, uh, now she's almost a player. She wants to be seen as a player, not just a commentator, but actually moving things along behind the scenes. Here she is on CNN New Day talking about her role in getting Cassidy Hutchinson to testify. Cassidy actually came to me and said, there's more I want to share with the committee. A couple months ago, I put her in with Congresswoman, put her in touch with Congresswoman Cheney. She got a new lawyer. And that's how this testimony came about. Final thoughts, Nate. Well, look, you know, Farah isn't unique. There are a lot of Republicans who desperately want to be liked in the mainstream media. But it just is particularly brazen, given that it happened incredibly quickly with her. And I think it's a testament to just how important it is to actually have good people in Republican administrations. There are a lot of people who don't really believe in the kind of things that they're saying. And Republican presidents, particularly when they're facing a deep state that's against them, need to make sure that their personnel actually believe in their mission. It's pretty clear that Farah and people like her who are willing to completely turn on a dime for CNN contracts are mm. not those people. Nate Hockman, great reporting. Uh, keep it up at the National Review. And follow him on Twitter, everybody, at NJ Hockman, at NJ Hockman, if you're into Twitter. Thank you, sir, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.